Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. We are continuing with our series on the pastoral epistles, the books of 1 and 2, Timothy and Titus, and we are finishing off of chapter 1 tonight, uh, 1 Timothy 1, and we're going to look at verses 18 to 20, wage the good warfare, wage the good warfare, but before I start, let me dive in in prayer and then we can jump in. Yes, Lord, thank you for your goodness, thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, thank you that we can be here tonight, Father, and just with willing hearts, Father, come and serve you, Father. And I just pray, Lord, tonight for grace to receive, Lord, your truth. To be truthful about ourselves, Lord, where we are, the desires that we have, the way we approach you, Lord, in your word. May you come and reveal that to us tonight, Father. And again, thank you, Lord, that we can receive everything from your hand, Lord, the encouraging parts, Lord, the healing, the redemption, but also the rebuke, Lord, also the correction. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, we are finishing off with Wage the Good Warfare. We are finishing off with this chapter one. And uh, it's kind of an interesting chapter this way. Paul kind of summarizes, he, g- he gave Timothy this charge. For those of you who remember, in the beginning, stay at Ephesus, charge certain people not to teach any different doctrines. And then he said, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. Some people, by swerving from this, has wandered off into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law, but not knowing what they say or about what they make such confidence assertions. Then he explains that the law is good and he explains the purpose of the law and then he testifies to the power of the gospel in his own life. So he kind of you know, derailed a little bit. Paul, he does that sometimes in his letters. But now he's getting back to that first charge, this charge he gives to Timothy. Fight the good fight. And in this, there's some interesting things for us to learn and to see and I, I really hope that this is something that hits home tonight something that we understand, something that we grasp. Because what Paul is telling Timothy here is firstly how to endure in the faith. How to endure in the faith. And twofold, how to endure in proclaiming the truth constantly but also in receiving the truth constantly. And then he says what's needed and by neglecting certain things some have made shipwreck of their faith. He explains that certain people did not endure. They've wandered away. And then he also says what we should do with such people. Interesting three verses this. But before we dive in, I want to ask us a question. And that is, how do people make shipwreck of their faith? Why do some wander away? Why do some stop following Christ? What is it? What trips them up? What's the obstacle? What's the barrier? Why does that happen? How does that happen? And maybe you're thinking to yourself, now that's a, that's a really good question. That's an important one. Because the assumption is that all of us sitting here tonight would love to endure in the faith. Amen? We would like to keep following Jesus. 
none of us sits here and, and we, we have come to the one, two, three of how to shipwreck our faith. We've been doing this for a while now. It's time to crash and start over. No, nobody wants to do that. And then also the reverse question, how do we then endure? What is it that we should keep safe? How do we ensure that we continuously follow Christ? And some of us might realize now that we're asking that, I'm not quite sure, I've never actually thought of that. Good question, but never thought of it. And some might have an idea. Some of us, you know, living in Secunda might have had heated debates about some, with some people already about these ideas. But let's dive into this passage and see what we can learn. Short passage, three verses. We're going to read it twice. Let's read together. Verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Herminius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Interesting passage of scripture. Let's read it again. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Arminius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Interesting passage of scripture. Maybe if you've read that for the first time, you're like, okay, this is a bit weird. Where even does Satan live? Where, how did he take these people to him? And let me share a little bit of insight. They normally only give the address to us when we get ordained. We're not supposed to share it with everybody. But obviously, Evander. <laughs> and now that I said it, you're like, ah, oh, makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Now, that's obviously not what it literally means. <laughs> we'll get to that in, in just a moment. But like I said, very important for us to understand this passage of Scripture, not just from Timothy's point of view, not just from someone that's appointed in a certain capacity to keep proclaiming the truth, but also for all of us that's been instructed by God to receive the truth. Those two aspects is true for every Christian at all times, for always. We've been called to continuously proclaim the truth, but we've also been continuously charged to receive truth, to be receptive to truth, to grow by the truth of God, to keep studying the Word of God and growing in truth. Amen? So not just to proclaim it, but also to receive it and to endure in that. And this, like I said, teaches us how do we sustainably proclaim truth and how do we sustainably receive this truth. And also just to make it clear that this specific charge that Timothy is receiving here is not just for a certain group of false teachers. It's not just like verse 6 and 7 said that these people who desire to be teachers of the law, it's not just for them. It's for all false teaching. The same is true for everybody that wanders away, that makes shipwreck of their faith. This Herminius that's mentioned here is also mentioned in the second epistle to Timothy. 
And it says that this guy is teaching the people that the resurrection of the dead has already happened, thereby upsetting the faith of some. And the resurrection of the dead is not the resurrection of Christ. That has already happened. Amen. Hallelujah. We are thankful for that because that's what our faith is built upon. But he's speaking about the resurrection of all believers. That's already happened. So this is speaking about all false teaching in general, not just a specific one. Speaking about making shipwreck of faith, not in a specific context, but in general. Very important for us to understand that. So let's start from the beginning and see what we can learn from enduring in proclaiming the gospel and living the gospel. Verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. We'll get to the prophecies part just now, but the first thing that I want us to note is the choice of words and analogy that Paul uses in this context. That word charge there is the Greek word parangaleia. It's used three times. Same word in verse 3, same word in verse 5, and the same word here. And it's often used in a military context to convey the sense of immediate obedience. Immediate obedience is needed. This has to happen and it has to happen now. Choose now and report for duty now. We cannot delay. This is a serious thing. This is an important thing. And the analogy that Paul uses is the analogy of war. Fight the good fight. Wage the good war. Straight the goeie straight, like the Afrikaans would say. And the first thing that we should note is that this is going to take some effort. First of all, it's not going to happen by itself. It's not something that people spontaneously just do. It's not something that we incline towards. This is something that takes intentionality to start and endurance to finish. It's not easy. It's not easy. And why isn't it easy? Think about that just for a moment. Why is the proclamation and the defending of truth not easy? Why is it difficult? It's because humanity in general isn't open to receive truth. And we are also part of that humanity. Are you with me? And again, maybe for us it's difficult because we're sitting in church and we have this desire to follow God. But like I've said a couple of times, just because we know that we should desire a certain thing or we should be open to truth doesn't, ma doesn't mean we're automatically there. Just because I know that I should be or I should do doesn't matter I do or I am that. It's not how it works. And in general, humanity struggles to receive truth. We are not as open to truth as we think we are. Paul writes to Timothy in his last letter written to the church, 2 Timothy. And in chapter 4, he writes to Timothy in verse 7, and he said, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me this crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge will award to me. And not only to me, but to all who love his appearing. Saying that I've done this. I've fought the fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. What's the context of that chapter? It's Paul saying these exact same words to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead that by his appearing and his kingdom preach the word. Be ready in and out of season. Reprove, exhort, 
rebuke, with complete patience and teaching, because the time is coming when people will no longer listen to the truth. But they will have itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves false teachers to suit their own passions, and so wander away from the truth and follow myths. As for you, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Again, the context is false teaching. That's why Paul says, Timothy, my child, you've seen this. In Acts 16, when Paul and them goes by Lystra, they see Timothy there. And the church testifies that this is a faithful young man. And Paul takes him with on, on his journey. And he sees all that Paul has to go through when it comes to defending and proclaiming truth. How people oppose the truth. How people reject the truth. How much suffering Paul has to go through being stoned and shipwrecked and without food and without clothes, without shelter. This isn't easy because people are not receptive to the truth. People do not happily accept the truth. It is a fight. And for us to engage in that fight, it takes some consideration. It is something that happens automatically. It would be like literally signing up to go to the military when a war is waging. You think twice. There's this doubt. There's this fear. But man is going to cost me something. It might even cost me my life. But this is something that we need to be intentional about. And again, just to make it practical and to ask us, how open and receptive to truth do you think you are? And there's kind of a couple of indicators where we can see And the first one is, how easily do you accept the fact that you are wrong? How easily do you accept the fact that you are wrong? When someone comes and challenges you on a certain thing, something that you maybe did or said or believed, they say, hey, that's not actually so. What's your immediate reaction? Is it a posture of sitting and, hey, tell me more, let me listen? Or is it immediately a, a jump up and a starting to defend? One of the ways of, of which we can see if we are truly open to the, the truth, and truly open to being taught by others, is when we have disagreements with other people, do we actually allow them to finish speaking? That's kind of a key indicator. You know, sometimes you have that conversations with people and they say, I don't agree with you, and you, you, you tell them, no, but it's impossible for you not to agree with me. And they say, why? It's just because I've never told you what I believe. You haven't given me a chance to explain you. Have you ever been in a conversation like that? Maybe you've been the other person. I'm not going to ask which side you were on, Vian, but it's difficult sometimes. And whenever we just respond and we don't even allow people to finish, we're not receptive to truth. It's just something that we should understand and see. I'm not saying that all of us like don't like truth at all. I'm just saying it might be possible that we are not as receptive and as open as we think we are. But it's difficult to proclaim truth because the human heart is not receptive to that truth. And as Timothy engages in this battle, there's something that he has to remember, there's something that he, he should use while waging this warfare. And the same is true for us. And this, these prophecies that they speak about, it says, 
this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. And here, specifically for us in the charismatic side of things, it's very important not to disregard all of what Scripture teaches about prophecy and just jump in here. Because just like some people have faithfully persevered in the faith and fought the good fight by the prophecies previously made about them and remembering what people have spoken over them and what has been prayed over them, the same is true that some people have wandered away and made shipwreck because they held onto a false prophecy that was never of God. That's also true. And it's important that we understand this in light of all of what Scripture teaches us about prophecies. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 20, it says, Do not despise prophecies. And again, in our traditional culture that we're living in, many churches despise prophecies because there's been a misuse of the charismatic gifts. But the Bible says, misuse, the answer for that is not no use, but correct use. Amen? So don't despise prophecies. Don't throw it away. Don't reject it. But then, verse 21 a verse that has been maybe the most misused by teens and college students. Test everything, hold fast to what is good. Have you ever heard someone use that kind of out of context? What were you guys doing? You shouldn't be, no, scripture says test everything, hold fast to what is good, try everything. No, it's not what it means. Specifically speaking about prophecies. Test everything. Test the prophecies. Hold fast to what is good. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29, it says, when the prophets speak in church, ministry after worship, when people come up and share, we must weigh what he said. That's why people go to Yan Lo before the time, before they even come to speak. Because not everything might be of God. And even when someone comes and shares, it's our work as a church to also weigh what he said, to see whether this really is from God and whether this really aligns with Scripture. And then we hold fast to that. 1 John 4 verse 1 says, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test. Don't just believe something that someone said once, and there you go. No. And while the content of these prophecies is not certain, not revealed to us any place in Scripture, we don't know what specifically was said, there's a couple of things that we can learn from them. And the first one is that it's in accordance with the command to be faithful to the gospel. In other words, that this prophecy fits into God's general call for us as Christians and for the church. That's important. Amen? That God will never give you a word that contradicts what is revealed in general to the church and what we are supposed to do. You know, someone is not going to come and prophesy over you that you should go and build your faith alone apart from the body of Christ, for example. It's not how it works. That's against Scripture. We need to meet together. We need one another and we need to stir one another to love and good works. It must be in accordance with the general word of God. Secondly, we see here that it is prophecies. It's not a single prophecy, but it's multiple prophecies of people speaking this over Timothy's life. And many times, and sadly so, we've seen in church that some people have this one word that someone gave them somewhere that they were going to do this or this was going to happen or they need to pursue this and they just hold on to that. doesn't matter how many other people say something else. 
or identify something else in their life, see a different gifting, praise over them. No, they stubbornly hold on to this one thing. Interesting how people sometimes do that. And again in chapter 4 of the same book, verse 14, Paul says, do not neglect the gift you have that was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So we always have an indication of who the people were that prayed for him and prophesied over him. It's the council of elders. At Timothy's ordination, they appointed him faithful of God to stay there and to fulfill the ministry that God has given him. So what we can see is multiple reliable prophecies that is in line of Scripture. That's a good thing to hold on to. Amen? That's a good thing to remember. Why? Because the war's going to get tough. And man, sometimes you're going to go through things and you're going to think, man, is this, is this worth it? Is this really what I've been called to do? Should I really stand up for the truth again? Hold on to that prophecy. Yes, God has called you. Be faithful. Endure. But we don't just simply believe a prophecy somewhere that doesn't really accord with what Scripture said and we don't really know if it's a reliable people. To be honest, we can't even remember their name, but it was at some camp. It's always at some camp, eh? But this happened. No, multiple reliable prophecies that accords with the general teaching of Scripture. Very important for us to understand that. And another important thing that we should note here is that firstly, Timothy was judged faithful. Amen? Faithful man. And by the leading of the Spirit, that's where prophecies come from. The Holy Spirit gives to each one as he wants. He is the one that leads and guides and speaks through people. So a faithful man appointed by the Spirit through prophecy. And just because Timothy was faithful and appointed by God does not ensure continual faithfulness always. Are you with me? It's important that we understand this. That just because someone was faithful and appointed by God doesn't mean that automatically he will remain faithful forever. It would have been nice, but it's not true. Same is true of me. That's why Paul encourages him. All of us have the ability to make shipwreck of our faith. That's what we should see here. No, no matter how zealous, no matter how faithful we were following God today, it doesn't mean that that's automatically so tomorrow. There's some stuff that we need to hold on to. As Timothy, Paul explains to Timothy, some did not and made shipwreck of their faith. And what are those things? We see them here in verse 19. Holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. And just to explain this, it's a bit obscure sometimes here in the, the English translation. Holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this. It doesn't mean they rejected faith and a good conscience. The this in the Greek is singular. The New Living Translation actually translates it well. It says, hold on to your faith in Christ Jesus and a good conscience. Some people deliberately violated their conscience and made shipwreck of their faith. The rejecting was the good conscience. That led to the shipwreck of faith. Hold on to faith, hold on to a good conscience. Do not reject a good conscience because that will lead to a shipwreck of your faith. That's what this passage is saying here. And if there's one thing that we can kind of grasp tonight, understand, remember, apply in our lives, let it be this. And here is the key that we should see and understand. That when it comes to making shipwreck of our faith, seldom, if ever, is it an intellectual issue. When it comes to making shipwreck of our faith, seldom, if ever, 
Is it an intellectual issue? This means that it is a heart's issue. It is a desire issue. It is rejecting a good conscience issue. It is not because these false teachings just sound so, so convincing. It's not because the people are more literate and and can explain something better. That's not the problem. It's not an intellectual thing. It's not that we struggle to understand it. It's not that we struggle to grasp it. That's true of all of Scripture. It's not something difficult to understand. It's not something difficult to believe. But what gets in the way is our heart and our desires. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he says that people accumulate for themselves false teachers. You see, we many times think, man, it's the false teacher's fault. If they were just less false teachers, then less people would move away from the truth. No. Paul says these people, they gather the false teachers. They go looking for them. Why? To suit their own passions. It's not an intellectual thing. It's a desire thing. It's a heart's problem. That's what's going on here. It's a desire thing. And again, very important for us to realize tonight that when this speaks about a good conscience, it doesn't mean that our conscience is now the supreme authority on life, meaning that if it doesn't feel good, or if I'm convinced it is good, if if my conscience doesn't accuse me, then that must mean that it's right now. It means that whenever we submit and listen and obey God's word, that strengthens our conscience, and then we feel how we should feel about things. But when we don't do that, our conscience doesn't work as it should because we are suppressing it. In chapter 4, when Paul speaks about these false teachers that are proclaiming these teachings of demons, he said one thing about them. What was that? That their conscience was seared. It's like taking a piece of meat and putting it on a, a hot stove. That Have you ever drank something that was too hot and it burns your tongue? kind of sears it a little bit. In other words, it doesn't feel and taste as it should for a couple of days after that. So your conscience is not a reliable guide to life. That's not what this passage is saying. It's saying that if we obey and live according to God's truth, it will strengthen it. We will all the more taste and feel how we should about the things of life. But if we reject that, if we follow sin, it will start working less and less because we are suppressing it. In 1 Corinthians 8, it speaks about the new believers whose conscience are weak because they lack knowledge. They don't understand the things of God as they should. So just, this doesn't mean that you, <coughs> you, you just trust your gut feeling. That's not what this is saying. It's saying that when we make shipwreck, it's because we neglect to serve God as we should and we are following the desires that we should not. Even though there's something in us that know we shouldn't be doing that. When Jesus explains the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, what's the reason why some start but don't finish? The first one is persecution. It springs up and it starts to grow fast, but when persecution arises because of the word, they fall away. It's not an intellectual thing. It's no, 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 I didn't sign up for this persecution thing. And then the others grow, but then the... Weeds grow and the thorns come and they choke them. What's that? It's the case of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. It's not an intellectual thing. It's a heart thing. It's a desires thing. James 1 verse 14 says that each person is tempted by what? 
by his own desires. And when desire is fully grown, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, it leads to death. It's our desires. It's not an intellectual thing. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul speaks about Demas in, in verse 10. And he says that Demas was a co-worker, someone that fought the good fight, someone that labored alongside us in the kingdom of God. But what happened to Demas? Demas in love with this present world has deserted me. It's not an intellectual thing. It's an heart thing. Hebrews 3.13 Encourage one another as long as it is called today. And see to it that no one is hearted by what? The deceitfulness of sin. And I know I'm kind of laboring the point, but I really want us to understand and grasp this. Because it's like Dr. Michael Heiser explains, everybody wants to be right. Nobody likes to be wrong. Nobody walks around and finds it joyous when someone comes and corrects them. Some people are more teachable than others, yes, but nobody finds joy in that. Like, that is a nice thing, and I hope it happens today. No. We want to be right. And whenever we are confronted with something that challenges us, we tend to justify ourselves and so become deceived. And we do that with Scripture. When we have certain desires and certain plans and certain things that we want to do, and now all of a sudden God's truth comes against it, it's not nice. And so we justify and we become deceived. He says people often do this, and you'll see this with pastors and teachers. Whenever we encounter a passage of Scripture that kind of doesn't fit our worldview, doesn't, this is going to make me wrong. Or this is going to have to make me change my approach to life. Then they call it a difficult passage. Oh, this is a problem passage. This is difficult to understand. Scripture is very unclear here. No, no. It's a heart's problem. It's a desire issue. It's a conflicting with culture. And we've been prepped and conditioned by culture. Now all of a sudden God's truth comes and now oof, this is difficult to understand and to interpret. It isn't. God's truth is simple. The problem is our desires. It is we, we take our little ship and we want to sail there. And conscience comes and by the leading of the Holy Spirit and says don't do that. You won't navigate there. You won't navigate those waters. It's not going to work. Now we want and we press our conscious aside and here we go. Just to make shipwreck on the rocks. You won't navigate those waters. It's not how it works. We need to align ourselves with God and His truth. Look at how Jesus explains this principle so beautifully. John 7 verse 17. He says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether this teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. You see, the people are having trouble with Jesus. They don't know if, who this man is and what message he's bringing. Is he really from God? And some say he has a demon and some reject Jesus' teaching. And Jesus says, it's not an intellectual thing, guys. The problem is not here. If your will is to do God's will, then you would know that this teaching is from God. You will not have a problem with these words. But like John wrote, the light came into the world, but the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. This is exposing my work. This is conflicting with my desires. Now it's difficult for me. It's an hard issue. And we tend to do this today as well. 
someone says something, someone preaches a message, someone brings a message and we say, I don't agree with him. I don't like that person. It would be the same as when a DJ plays a song and you say you don't like the speaker. He's just conveying the message. It's not, it's not, he's not the author of it. You have a problem with the DJ. And as Paul Washer says, whenever we gather at church, whenever a sermon is preached, whenever God's word is discussed, the only thing that we should do is to discern, is this someone's opinion or is this the word of God? Because if it's the word of God, the only thing that we need to do is bend ourselves and align with God's word. That's the only thing that remains. No complaining, no discussing, no challenging. Bend and align. Lord, I submit to your word. Why? Because he's God Almighty. He knows. He really knows best. All-knowing, holy, sovereign, righteous God. He knows best. And the only thing that we should ask ourselves, is this God's word? And if it is, we should obey. And if we don't, we're going to press our conscience aside and it's becoming more and more seared. And we understand this with habitual sin. You know, one of the sins that Donnie spoke about this morning that he prayed for us as a church was that of pornography, sexual immorality. We understand that in the culture in the days that we live in. And the first time you're like, oh man, I shouldn't do this. I just know I shouldn't. But then it happens again. And it feels bad, but a little less bad. And again and again and again. Till later it's just normal. We shift conscience aside. We've not allowed it to be strengthened by God and His Word. To keep a good conscience is to continue to believe and live the gospel. To reject it is to follow the desires and deceitfulness of sin. But God and His Word, that's the only thing that we should say and see. Is this God's Word? Then I should obey. And with Paul saying that, he kind of drops the first bomb on us. That's verse 20. And he says, among whom are Herminius and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And what Paul is speaking about here is speaking about church discipline. To hand someone over to Satan is to excommunicate them from the church. To say you can no longer gather with God's people. You're no longer welcome in the assembly of the saints. You can't come to church. You can't come to small group. You cannot gather with us. You're outside now. You're not in the realm of God's grace, protection, and love. You're in the world. That's where Satan is, the prince of this world. 1 John 5, 19, we belong to God, but the whole world lays in the power of the evil one. In Jesus' own words in Matthew 18, he says, if you see your brother or sister struggling with sin, you go to them and you speak to them. And if they don't want to listen, you take someone else with them. And then if they don't want to listen, you tell it to the church and let them be to you like a gentle or a tax collector. Excommunication. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 5, Paul speaks about sexual immorality and he says to the church, you should hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. Do you know how much resistance I've encountered when speaking about this when it comes to church discipline not only in our own church but just in churches in general with this issue and it says okay but this is what scripture says this is God's principle for how to handle this and then people start no how can you say that where will they learn the truth who's going to hold them accountable who's going to do this and then it's, no it's, it's not a truth issue 
It's not that they don't know. It's not an intellectual thing. Nobody should teach them better. It's a hard thing. It's a problem there. And God knows best. And he's saying that this is good for them and it's good for the church. And we don't need to figure out why or how. It's God's word. Amen. It's God's word. And he's saying that they might learn not to blaspheme and that they might be saved on the day of the Lord. That's why we are doing this. It's good for them. It will illustrate something, the seriousness of sin. They need to see this. They need to experience this. And in 1 Corinthians 5, after he says that you should excommunicate this person, in verse 6 he says, do you not know that a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump? If we keep them in the church, it's not good for them and it's not good for the church. Why? Because it adds to a conscience that is rejected. We are helping them reject conscience. We are helping them say, no, it's fine if you live that way. You're still welcome here. It's fine if you believe one thing and live something different. It's fine if you continue spreading those false teachings. It's fine. Everybody's welcome here. We love one another. This is the epistle of love. This is how we should love one another. The aim of our charge is love. That is from a pure heart. That's verse 5. Verse 20 fits in there. Amen. This is love. It is not for us to figure out. It's for us to obey. Why? Because it's God's word. And it's not loving to the people in church because as people come in and those new to the faith, they're like, oh, it's fine if we do that here. It's fine if we live that way here. It's fine if we speak that way here. It is not. It is God's word. Amen. And if we reject that by coming up, and the funny thing is, I don't know if we, if we notice what we are doing, if we say, but how will they and where will they and what if? We're basically saying to God, Lord, I don't know if you've ever heard my perspective on this. I might be able to shed some light on the subject. I don't know if all-knowing is all-knowing. Like, I don't know if you've heard my take on this. I have some good inputs to give. No. He really knows best. And it's important that we understand this. Why? We're going to work verse by verse through these three books. And what that means is that if the difficult passage comes... If the convicting stuff comes, we are not going to skip past them. It is the next verse, and it is given by God, and we are going to face it head on. And some of it is going to be challenging. Some of it is going to clash with culture around us, like hard. And we are going to want to say, but what about this, and what about this, and what about that, when we don't do that. The only thing we ask, is this God's word? Is this faithful to God's word as we work through it verse by verse by verse? And if it is, then our response is, Lord, we bend and we align. And we will strengthen our conscience and we will fight the good fight. And we will hold on to faith and a good conscience. Amen. I want to end off for us tonight and, and leave us with these two questions. And I want us to discuss it with someone sitting next to you and then pray through them. And here they are. First, are we busy waging the good warfare? Are, are, are we busy defending the truth as the, as the church should? Are we busy proclaiming the truth as the church should? Are we open to receiving the truth as the church should? Because this is one of the first areas where a lot of Christians reject conscience. Why? Because we know that we need to stand for truth. Amen? We know that. We know that. Inherently, we know that. 
We know that we should preach the gospel. We know that we should make disciples. And then we add that work meeting. We add that family reunion. And someone says something or they speak in a certain way and you have that feeling inside of you. Man, I, this, is, this is me now. This is my cue. This is where I report for duty. I need to say something. I need to stand up. I need to defend truth. And then whenever we give way to that and we don't stand up and we don't defend the truth, it's us pushing conscience aside. And it will become all the more easier. And scripture says, remember, this is not just that they will not hear and accept the faith, but you will make shipwreck as well. Why? Because you are pushing conscience aside. We cannot choose it on big and large scales and on small ones think it's okay. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. But have we reported for duty? Have we counted the cost? This is signing up for war. Are we willing to die? Because will you receive persecution and resistance 100%? Everyone that wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If we stand up, persecution will come. And the second one, and I don't want us to jump past this too fast. And it's are we willing to hold on to a good conscience by willfully submitting to God, to God's will, by fully submitting to God's will? Are we willing to hold on to a good conscience by fully submitting to God's will? And again, we in the church, we Christians, we, we would want to say immediately, yes, that's me. Take your time. Consider this. Don't move past this too quickly. And if willing, then ask God, Lord, is there anything in my life? Show me. Is my conscience clear before you, Lord? Is there anything that you want me to do to repent of, to obey anything? And God will come and show. The question is, are we willing? Are we willing? Let's take a couple of minutes. Discuss it with the person next to you. Pray through it. And then if you finished... You're welcome to go and grab a cup of coffee there at the back and join some time of fellowship with us. Don't look so serious. Love you guys. Enjoy the week.